Amen. So good to hear the choir, and I appreciate their leadership and worship. Well, this time, as we get ready for the proclamation part of our worship, I'm going to dismiss the children that have registered for children's worship to meet uh, Dr. Moore and, and Miss Amy there at the back door. So if you have pre-registered for children's worship, you can meet them there. For those of us that are still in here, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, our text will be verses 76 through 80 this morning. Um, as you're turning there, I do want to give you an update on my daughter, Emma. She's continuing to do well. The last month and a half, we have seen just she's breathing well. She's still got a strong cough that is she's doing consistently. Uh, we feel like her level of alertness is starting to increase a bit. So we're very grateful for these things and give God praise and ask you just to continue to keep praying for us. The passage we're in this morning is actually the second part of what Nathan preached two weeks ago. I told Nathan before the staff was quarantined that I owed him an apology because I asked him to preach half this text. And that's a tough thing for a preacher to only preach half a text. I told him it's like, you know, it's like giving you a, a meal of, of baked potato and a sirloin steak, but only letting you eat the baked potato. Uh, so I appreciate him letting me have the steak uh, as we gather this morning. So with that said, let's look and draw our attention to verses 76 through 80 in this song of Zechariah that he is lifting up as he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Would you bow with me in prayer? Well, Father, shine the light brightly in our hearts and in our worship service today. We have offered you praise and song. We've offered you worship through the reading of your word. We've seen visual reminders of the faith, the hope, the love, the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. And now, fathers, we come to the portion of our worship where we open your word and where it is proclaimed, we ask you to give us ears to hear. I pray this confidently because I know your word will accomplish the purpose for which you send it forth. And Lord, your word this morning has a purpose in each of our lives. Open our ears to hear that. Open our hearts to receive it. And Lord, change us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In October of 2010, the eyes of the world focused on northern Chile and South America. Thousands of members of the media gathered there because a mining accident had occurred. A total cave-in had happened. And that cave-in trapped 33 miners a half mile below the surface of the earth. 
I can only imagine the terror they felt when they realized that all the escape passages were closed, the main entrance caved in, no getting out. They were trapped without food and minimal amount of water. Eventually a pipe was drilled down prior to their rescue and they were rescued after 69 days and through that pipe they were able to receive food supplies and water but the one challenge, the one thing that was perhaps the most difficult to overcome was the darkness. They had minimal light. They had to work to conserve whatever battery power they had. And there were times, hours, where there would be no light at all. Now in that darkness, the miners were acutely aware of one truth. They could not save themselves. If they were to be rescued, it had to come from outside. Someone outside of their situation had to intervene. Now if you would allow me to draw a parallel this morning. We are trapped in darkness. I could take time to enumerate the ways that we are trapped, but I think they are very self-evident. We look around us and we see evidence of the darkness. We hear, we hear the cries of hopelessness that surround us in every news report wondering where salvation can be found. And like those miners, we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. Now it's easy to look around and say, well, I'm not so sure that it's me that has to be saved because after all, we reason, aren't all the problems out there in society? In fact, today we often hear the mention of, of systemic evil. There's no doubt that systemic evil exists, but I must point out one thing. The ills of society are simply the sins of the individual systematized. In other words, the darkness that we see out there is simply because of the darkness that is within our hearts. And that means that before the light can shine in our culture, the light must shine in our hearts. And therein lies the problem. We can't generate light on our own. We can't through concentration change ourselves. While we maybe through self-discipline can make some minor changes, we can't change our very nature. Dietrich Bonhoeffer communicated this message, but he used a different image. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor who ministered during the time of Hitler's reign over Germany. He was eventually arrested because he had taken part in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And while he was imprisoned in the Tingle prison in Berlin, he wrote a letter to his fiancée, Maria. They would never marry. But she kept her letter, his letters and they have been published. At Christmas time, you can see this, this pastor, this theologian sitting in his cell, isolated, writing to the woman he hoped would be his wife. And he wrote these words near Christmas. A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. Bonhoeffer was saying as a prisoner, you realize your only hope of getting out is that someone outside opens the door. In Zechariah, we read of how the door is open. 
In this song from this, this man who is praising God for the birth of his son John, we discover how the darkness will be pushed back. Now in the first part of this song, as the Holy Spirit inspired Zechariah, he sings remembering the past acts of God. Verses 68 through 75. He remembers how God raised up a horn of salvation. He remembers how God never forgot His mercy. In fact, you'll notice in the first part of this song, all the verbs are past tense. Zechariah is remembering and rejoicing in God's favor. But as he looks back, he begins then to turn his gaze to what God's doing in the present. That's where verses 76 through 79 come into play. As he shifts to what God is doing, he shifts to the salvation God is bringing. A salvation that will be ushered in by two men. Two men who are about to be born. This passage has two sections. Verses 76 and 77 are about John the Baptist. Now that is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, whom the angel Gabriel foretold Elizabeth would, would bear. The second part, in verses 78 through 79, is about Jesus. The one for whom John prepares the way. Now, I want you to notice at the beginning of verse 78, there's a phrase. This phrase is the bridge between the two. It's the hinge, the pivot point. It connects them. And notice what it says. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Now, always when you're doing Bible study, you need to stop and reflect for a moment to say, okay, does that because refer to what he just wrote about John the Baptist in verses 76 and 77? Or does it apply to Jesus whom he writes about in verses 78 and 79? And the answer is both. See it in the text. The because connects it to verse 77. And then notice how he begins the latter part of verse 78 by saying whereby. That whereby refers to the tender mercy of our God. So our starting point for understand how we can be delivered from the darkness must begin with the mercy of God. Deliverance from the darkness happens because of God's mercy. This is the foundation for John's ministry and it's the launching pad for Jesus' life. John is sent... And he does what he does because God is merciful. Jesus comes. He lives a sinless life. He is crucified. He, he is buried. And he is resurrected because of God's mercy. Now we are familiar with singing about God's grace. His amazing grace. And rightly so. But we must never forget that God's mercy is equally amazing. We should always keep mercy and grace connected. Because here's the difference between the two. Grace is being given something you do not deserve. It's being given something. You receive something you did not earn. That is grace. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you rightly deserve. And I think the best illustration of mercy is found on the lips of Jesus himself when he told a story, a parable to those who were around him, a parable about a father who had two children. The youngest of the children goes to the father one day and he says, give me my inheritance. Now, 2,000 years has caused us to forget the slander, the absolute insult that that request was. 
Because in asking for his money, his inheritance, he was looking his father in the eye and saying, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I could get my money. And his father does an amazing thing. He gives him the inheritance. This young man leaves, goes to a faraway place and lives the lifestyle he'd always envisioned. Anything he wants, he does. Night after night of partying, he's got it all until all the money runs out. Not knowing what to do, he takes a job feeding pigs. And things get so bad that he starts to eat the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And one day on that farm, he says to himself, I can go back and if I beg my father, maybe he'll let me be a servant because the servants are taking better care of than I am. He memorizes a speech. He makes his way back. And then an amazing thing happens. We are told that his father sees him coming. And his father runs to meet him and embraces him. And then throws a party for him kills the fatted calf now once again time and culture rob us of the scandalous action of the father in that time and culture what the son did in insulting his father and asking for the inheritance could be punished by death because of the dishonor he brought on his family and his village at best the villagers would have simply just sent him back away at worst they would have stoned this young man to death Unless the father intervened. Unless the father ran and embraced him. Because at that point, the villagers wouldn't raise a hand. That's mercy. The embrace of the father was saying, I'm not going to let you get what you deserve. The grace of the father was in getting the fatted calf. But the mercy of the father was embracing his son saying, you deserve death for what you did and dishonoring me, but I'm not going to give that to you. Understand that the father in that parable is God. It is God who meets us when we run to him saying, yes, we deserve death. The wages of our sin is death. But God does not give us what we deserve because he Praise His name is merciful. He is merciful. He always has been. He is merciful. And He always shall be. Zechariah praises God for His past mercy. And he rejoices in the present mercy of God. I hope you know that mercy today. To know that God gives mercy to all who come to Him. But the first step in receiving that mercy is this. You must be aware of the darkness. You have to. You see, that's part of the ministry of John the Baptist in verses 76 and 77. Notice he says, and you child. Now the child Zechariah is referencing is John the Baptist, his son. And he says, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. Now typically when we read the word prophet, we think of somebody that tells the future. But that's not the primary role of the prophet. The prophet's job was this. It was to say to the people, here's God's law. Here's where you are. Repent. Prophets were killed because they pointed out where people fell short. They weren't judgmental. They weren't coming with a condescending attitude. They were simply pleading with the people to come back to God. That's what John did. Notice in verse 77. 
To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. The only way the people could have knowledge of salvation and receive forgiveness of sins was to know that they were sinners. John did that. John showed up preaching. The people came to hear. They had hearts that wanted to hear, to know the truth. He preached to the people, repent for one is coming who will baptize with fire. The Pharisees didn't like the message as much because John referred to them as a brood of vipers. He said, who warned you to escape the coming judgment? They become, became angry because they didn't like the fact that somebody was saying they weren't right with God. And John's message even reached the highest political halls of the time. See, John got in hot water with the ruler of the area, a man named Herod. No relation. Herod the Tetrarch who had married his brother's wife. And John unashamedly said, that is a sin against God. And it cost John his head. That's why John was killed. See, before we know we need salvation, we have to be aware. We have to be aware of our sin. I think that would be self-evident. But we live in an age and the propensity of humanity has always been to deny our need for a Savior. It's always easier to look at other people, isn't it? To look at society and how bad things are. And I think sometimes there's a comfort we get in that. I think if you were to look on your phones at your news feed, not right now. If you were to look at the news feed you get, you'd probably see that 75 to 80% of the news you receive is simply gossip about what somebody has done. Rumors of somebody's actions, how they cheated on this person or did this. Part of the reason that scandal appeals to us, it soothes our conscience. After all, we think, I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. The truth is, we're more like the Pharisees and Herod than we would want to admit and deep down we know that the masquerade won't last there's a man by the name of John Enzer he's written a, a great book called the great work of the gospel in that book he tells a story from when he was a teenager see John had this is many years ago but he had had saved up his money and he'd gone to a local store to buy a hat and he said as he stood there in that store in front of the hat, he had his hand in his pocket feeling of his money. He thought, you know what? Why do I need to buy this hat? He said, I could take it and use my money to buy something else later. So John admits he gave in to that temptation. Looking around, he shoved the hat underneath his shirt, started to walk out of the store. The manager saw everything that happened. And just as John was about to leave the department store, the manager stopped him and said, Son, drop the hat. I saw you. I know you have it. John didn't even protest. He pulled the hat out. Now, the manager recognized he wasn't dealing with a hardened criminal. He was dealing with a 13, 14-year-old boy that had made a stupid decision. So he looked at him and he said, This is what I want you to do. I want you to go home and you confess to your parents what you've done and you tell them to call me. If I do not receive a call from them before this day is out, I will call the police. John said that was the longest walk home he'd ever had in his life. 
gets his parents together and he tells them what he did. Now, what he didn't know is that his sister, his 18-year-old sister, was listening outside the door. And the minute he said, I stole a hat, he heard his sister go, my little brother's a thief. There's a thief in the family. John said when he heard that, he felt shame and anger. Who's she to call me a thief? I'm not a thief, but I stole something. I am a thief. I am a thief. John said at that moment he recognized that to know the grace of God, being ashamed of our sin is this first step. We can't gloss it over. We need to deal with the reality of our sin. Think of it in terms like this. How often does a person need to commit adultery before they're an adulterer? How often does a person have to lie before they're a liar? How often does a person have to steal before they're a thief? And the answer is one time. And then Jesus, in his mercy, shows us it's not just the action. When he says it's about the heart. If we have coveted, we've stolen. If we've lusted, we've cheated. If in our heart we've hold, held on to deceit, we are liars. Now, if this message were to stop now, it would be most depressing of all. But the text doesn't stop there. You see, our Lord is like a good doctor. Before the treatment can be given, the problem has to be diagnosed. John went before Jesus to diagnose the problem. The problem is sin, and we are all infected. But here's the solution. Because of the mercy of God, Jesus will come. And that's the great good news. Deliverance from our darkness comes through Jesus. Notice where he begins in verse 78. Whereby, remember, that refers to the tender mercy of our God. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. That's messianic language. That's the message of Messiah. It's actually a reference to Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 where it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Now that language of a star in the Hebrew means a, a sunrise will come, a, 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 an object will rise to give light. It is that imagery that Zechariah sings about. A sunrise shall visit us from on high. It shall come not from within us, but from the very presence of God Himself. And notice what this sunrise does. It does what the sun does when it comes up in the morning. It gives light. Verse 79. It gives light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Those two are, are ideas that give a very well-rounded picture of our dilemma. Our darkness is indeed part of death, and death is part of our darkness. You see, the language of darkness is one that we're very familiar with. It's an image throughout all of Scripture that is used to communicate distress and anxiety. Anyone here ever experienced that darkness? It's used to communicate darkness is ignorance of God's will. Darkness communicates confusion and destruction, moral depravity, chaos, and death. 
Darkness is still a motif used throughout literature and movies to communicate things gone bad. Think about the westerns of yesteryear. How did you always identify the bad guy? He wore a black hat. And even though today we may think we are beyond such simplistic views of good and bad, it still is woven into our collective thinking. Think of perhaps the, the, the most well-known and well-received movie saga today, the Star Wars movies. For those of you familiar with them, what is the force? It is made up of the light and the dark side. It's this imagery of light and darkness. And the good news is that Jesus has come to deliver us from the darkness. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes that Jesus came to deliver us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And he did so by his death and his resurrection. You see, when Jesus died, it was the mercy of God because Jesus took what we deserved. He took the penalty. And when he rose again, it was grace being given that we might walk in newness of life. Thus, the darkness of sin is taken away. The darkness of hatred is illuminated by his love. The darkness of grief is eased by the light of the resurrection. And in the place of the darkness of con con conflict and anxiety, he gives peace. Look at the end of verse 79. This child who will be born, who will live, die, and rise again will guide us into the way of peace. That peace is the same meaning as the Hebrew word shalom. Well-being. God's favor. Serenity. We need serenity now. Well, the only way to attain it is through Christ. I love the story that country music star Travis Tritt tells. Before he became a superstar in the world of country music, Travis Tritt and his band used to play the back roads, the honky-tonks, all the bars, trying to make a name for themselves and get well-known. And, of course, anytime you're at honky-tonks and bars, you can guess eventually what's going to happen. A fight is going to break out. And he said it would happen frequently. And he said that he and his band developed a way to deal with it. He said whenever he saw the tempers start to rise and rednecks start to go to their truck to get their guns, he said he would look at the band and wink. And they would start playing Silent Night. He said it didn't matter if it was the middle of July. If there was a fight, they'd play Silent Night. And he said every time the most amazing thing happened, the fight would stop. He said he's literally seen grown men who had each other by the collar look at him and start to cry. Now, the song is not inspired like scripture, but it expresses truth of the gospel. Listen to these words of the third verse. Silent night, holy night, son of God, loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. John came to prepare the way. You need a Savior. And Jesus is the sunrise who has visited us from on high. Today I hope you are filled with that light. For that 
my brothers and sisters, is the hope of the gospel. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord, we live in a world that is full of darkness because we are sinners. And we recognize that we can't save ourselves. But you and your mercy, oh God, have sent Jesus, the light who illuminates all the world, who saves sinners. And Lord, I have to echo the Apostle Paul of, when he wrote, of whom I am the worst. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you that your grace is free and abundant. And I pray that this, this morning as we finish this time of worship that our hearts will be filled with the light and we would illuminate the world around us to tell them that the darkness does not reign. Jesus does. Father, let that be true in our lives. For it is in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.